is the Chartographers. Listening to the chartographers, or I'm sorry, I'll remember, you're listening to the chartographers, and uh, <laughs> we are talking about Bjork. It is Evan, it is Taryn, it is our special guest Mikey. We are all here gathered around, and we are having a grand old time talking about everyone's favorite Icelandic snow nymph, Bjork. Uh, and guys, our first, our ranking episode went better than I thought it could have gone. It we, was like we were pretty agreeable. Uh, yeah, I was I was expecting some flack. I was expecting some sass. Like her breakup albums are like fucking. You have no idea, you asshole. Like I I didn't know what we were going into. But now we're in the happy hour Minnesota. We're all a little bit relaxed. We're all feeling good. And now, most importantly, we get to talk about the favorite thing we talk about at the start of every happy hour Minnesota. Guys, what's the worst Bjork song? Hollow. Ho- I mean, okay. Let's do, you know, last three albums, and then we could do the rest. But yeah. Also, <laughs> Hollow, maybe Thunderbolt, depending on my mood. I'm not even fucking kidding. I'll defend Thunderbolt only because when she performs it live, she performs it with a fucking Tesla coil above her head that creates the, you know... The, yeah, the enlightening bolt. The yeah. bolt creates the music to the song. And that's amazing. All right, that's badass. So, but that's not that's not what I'm listening to on the album. So I am craving miracles, and I'm not not. getting it from the album. Uh, What what, what's your pick? Especially after the Latin albums. Um, I I think I have to say features creatures right now because it's like really it's like recent. It's on Utopia. I've been listening to it a lot, and I just can't get into it. I would. I I all give you that for sure. It's down there for me. And I think that. Kurt, me if I'm wrong, um, I think that's the only song, or one of the only songs on Utopia that she didn't collaborate with Arca on, and I, I feel like it doesn't belong with the rest of them. Okay. Hmm. Alright, fair. Alright, now if we're talking about the pre-Biophilia albums, do you have a pick for a war song? I say, as I don't really exactly know myself, but I'm yeah, looking at well, Medulla so and Ancestors, and it's Ancestors. Continue. I mean, that's, that's one where... For me, once you get before biophilia, it's not, there's nothing that's like garbage. Uh huh. It's just a matter of like, is it boring or not? Uh huh. And for me, that would go to like Aurora off of Vespertine. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, I don't hate Aurora. Right. It's just not great. I don't hate Pluto. I'm going to, I'm going to bring up Hope again. Okay. Volta. Fair. Does, fair. Does anybody remember what it sounds like? No. Nope. I don't. Yeah. And you're the fucking, the you're like the and biggest Bjork fan of all time. So the fact Basically. that you don't know what that sounds like, that says something though. But because you're the biggest Bjork fan of all time, there's a lot we need to talk about. Uh, before we get into our full Dancer in the Dark experience, the other thing I want to talk about is that you've seen her live not once, but thrice! Correct. Uh, walk us through that. Once what are the tours? for the Volta tour, uh, one for Biophilia, and then it, it wasn't really the Biophilia performances anymore, but the tour that she did after and like before she released Volnikura. Okay. So She was just touring for touring's sake, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. She's amazing live. She sounds better live than she sounds, you know, on studio albums. Uh-huh. Like I was saying, the Biophilia, we said what we had to say about the Biophilia album, but the performances were incredible. Um, she brought out all those crazy instruments that she had commissioned to be created for the specific album, like the Tesla coil. Um, the musical Tesla coil. Yeah. Right. And performed songs off of Vespertine with those instruments. It, it was just beautiful. It was like a recital more than like uh-huh. a rock mm-hmm. concert. 
Um, Volta was, was definitely a rock concert. It was like, okay. get up and jump. You know, she's singing well, the I assume she opened with Earth Intruders or shit like that, yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But brilliant live performance. All right, yeah. cool. I mean, I've, I've seen, we've seen some clips of her live where she seems to, like, transform her songs a lot. And she likes doing that, too. Uh, because I know that's one of the big things about Telegram. It wasn't just a remix album. It was, like, radical reinventions of a lot of the songs that she had on there. Which, honestly, I'd be surprised if she didn't completely reinvent her stuff live. Uh-huh. That's, I mean, just the vibe that I get from her. I mean, and she's so into the performance art aspect of everything. Her videos are so immaculately constructed. She knows exactly what she wants from them. There's a lot of, like very intricate costumes happening. So, like, of course she completely transforms her music live. Mm-hmm. She performs a lot of her B-sides live, which is awesome. That's some of the songs that she's performed live I didn't know of before until I heard them live, and then I, like, found what single release were they on. So that she knows how to put on a show with, like, surprises, mm-hmm. and then also keep the fans pleased by performing Army of Me in every single one of her concerts. Yeah. yeah. Because some of you are here just for that. She knows. She gets it. Yeah. I would still love to see her do Hyperbellet at every one of her concerts, but that's my own thing. Here's the thing. Like, if I went to a Bjork concert, even post-fucking, you know, Villacura and Utopia, I would, like, those songs that come up that come up that I know, I would just be, like, losing my shit over. Yeah. Like, I would be all about that. Why can't she close out fucking Lollapalooza? Instead of Bruno Mars. Anywho. Uh, <laughs> you know, thoughts, ideas there. Uh, so, yeah, please, I mean, what, do you, do you have, like, a favorite Bjork story? Do you have a favorite? I'm just, like, kind of curious, diving in. Well, also, yeah, wait, Bjork actually, before, any, before anything else, you've actually, with your own eyes, seen Drawing Restraint 9. Yes. That's that's an interesting Bjork story. Well, it's a Matthew Barney story. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Do you like it's... Matthew Barney? Well, I didn't really know much about Matthew Barney. He is actually like, very highly regarded in the art world. Maybe even more so than Bjork is in the music world. Like, he is a name in contemporary art. And the fact that they were collaborating was just this amazing Seemed like a perfect union, almost. Yes, yeah. completely. And the film, it's very long. It, the music you may have heard of if you, li- if you listen to the soundtrack. Um, it doesn't really have much of a story. It's about sailors on this... So, like, a Japanese whaling ship... And they're collecting blubber. And then they find this Icelandic nymph on an island and they rescue her. Of course, it's Bjork. (laughs) And then, so Matthew Barney happens to be on this boat too for whatever reason. Um, After two hours of them lost in translation, traversing through the ship, they they find each other in this tea ceremony. That's when the ship starts to drown. Um, Starts to sink. So they start to drown. But... At that moment, they decide that the only way they can survive is if they themselves turn into whales, whales, or, or you know, some sea mammals. So they start ripping off the muscles from each other's bones, and they turn into sea creatures. And the movie ends. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Lovely. Uh huh. Lovely. Well, on a much brighter note, one thing that we can talk about in terms of Bjork is that uh, unmistakably she is a visual artist. Uh, and that's the thing. Her music videos from the fucking get have been pretty great. Like, And even Tara was noting how we watched even the fucking Big Time Sensuality video, which is just her 
on the back of a truck driving through, I think, New York. Like, that's it. It's a single camera shot. You see the traffic on either side of her in buildings or what have you. But the fact is, 1993, she's got this, like, little, like, you know, spiky pixie cut thing. Well, no, she has the... She has, like, the dozen little buns on her head. And she's wearing a crop top, tank, Mm -hmm. and bell bottoms. Which, I'm not gonna say that she was the first person to (laughs) wear this outfit, but that is the fucking 90s in a nutshell right there. Like... Even more than, like, musical uh, influence, which she obviously has done a lot of, like, her visuals have definitely also influenced, like, the fashion and art of Mm -hmm. the 90s and 2000s. Yeah. Uh, But then, of course, everyone knows it's Oh So Quiet, which is the Spike Jonze-directed musical number, you know, like that has, you know, giant dancing things and, you know, little uh, mailboxes that come to life and her flying and doing backflips and umbrellas, you know, like it's just wonderful and delightful, which also, by the way, we didn't even talk about this. I didn't even realize that's a fucking cover too. Like oh, yeah. that's the thing. Yes. Yeah. I think it was it's a jazz it, standard. Yeah. Like, uh, it was like Betty Patty Hutton was someone else like that who like did it like, and like in that original, like 1950s recording, like she's the same thing. You ring that bell. Zang. Oh yeah. yeah. The growl is there. Well, and honestly, the screaming. Yeah. The, the screaming is there. Well, and the arrangement isn't that different. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't like fully transform this song. It's just, it's so utterly different because it's just Bjork singing it. Right. Like, the, she didn't need to fuck with the background. That was fine. Uh-huh. But because her voice is so singular, it takes it to this such a distinct place. Mm-hmm. But then again, like, she is constantly working with Michelle Gondry and uh, Spike Jones and all these other just amazing video directors. And, like, that video for All is Full of Love of these two robots being assembled and eventually, like, you know, making out with each other is, like, still a haunting piece of work. And I remember Death, Death Camp for Cutie covered that on one of their EPs, too. Oh. Uh, which is just, you imagine Ben Gibber with this long, All is full of love. I mean, he wasn't that's that really bad, good. but, you know, it was kind of... <laughs> yeah! That's yeah. cool! That's fun! Other bands have attempted to cover some Bjork songs. Um, I know that 30 Seconds to Mars did a cover to Hunter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. They changed the lyrics, uh, how Scandinavian of me to how American of me. You know, okay. how to do it. I feel like there's another cover. Can't think of it right now. Yeah. Well, um, she also she's also pretty good about pimping out her covers a bit too because I think it was a charity thing on One Little Indian one time. She did a remix album of Army of Me. So imagine, if you will, Army of Me, one of the most iconic, one of your favorite Bjork songs, but imagine 12 different versions of it across one album and it was a charity thing so i get that but also it's just like oh my god okay this needs to can you not uh if you, if you wouldn't mind please uh, there was, and she's also had just so many just weird, fun, delightful music videos. Honestly, uh, it's a uh, what was it? Shared core, uh, mutual core off of Biophilia. This video where yeah. she's like sitting there and like conjuring rock creatures out of, out the, of the sand, sand. that yeah. she's like waist deep into, and then They're, as like, the like industrial moments tapes. are yeah. happening, there's like lava bursting, and it almost looks like the Detroit stone where it's just like layers of car paint that's been like slowly eroded over time so it looks like a natural stone like she definitely used that image where it's just like it looks like rocks but then inside as it breaks open it's just like layers of color yeah 
Oh, and we also, uh, before we started taping, we watched the Pagan Poetry uh, video, so we know what digital cum looks like. So uh, that was... Oh, no, that was real cum. Oh, yeah, exactly. That was definitely... And if it wasn't actual cum, it was damn close. I know what a cum shot looks like, and that's what that was. (laughs) I love where this podcast And that's when I got banned. Also, by the way, uh, weirdly enough, I think it's also interesting when she did the uh, video for uh, Who Is It off of Medulla. Uh, there was, it's... Every time we say Who Is It, I think of the Michael Jackson Who song. Who Is It? Which is really different. <laughs> but, like, because on that one there, like, on the one of the album I think sounds fine. It's got those, like, vocal beats. But on the music video cut, it's all bell-oriented. Uh, you know, like, she's in a bell outfit, there's little kids doing bells, and instead of, like, all the boom, you know, that's uh-huh. in the background, it's bling, bling. Oh, like, it's Exactly, which is, like, that's kind of a interesting take to do it. Literally, I have a feeling it's her going to the director being like, it's going to be about bells. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, so... You're so good at that. <laughs> well, it, like, her intonation is so specific. I know. Right? Yeah. My Bjork is terrible, but yours is fantastic. I've, I've, I've been in the Bjork a little bit, you know. It's been, uh, it's been a good time. So, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, there was the time when she, I and I, I, she got dragged a lot for it, though. But Girl, of all the songs, was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song for Dancer in the Dark for I Feel It All, which is like... You mean I've seen it I've all? I've seen it all, yes. Uh, I was thinking of... Uh, yeah. Well, I think that in the course of the film, that's the most emotionally arresting mm-hmm. moment. On the album, less so. Right. But... I mean, I guess I get that. Yeah. But then she got flack for the friggin' swan dress. Well, the swan dress. I mean, her performance, and like, again, York's a great live performer. Her performance during that Oscar ceremony was not her best. You know, she's kind of, there's a weird nervousness. You no, know, but there's kind of a trend of that. Yeah. Great performers get on the Oscars and choke. Like when it's... Counting Crows did Accidentally in Love from Shrek 2 during Shut the Oscars. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> um... But she's wearing the swan dress that she's wearing on the cover of Vespertine, mm-hmm. which I don't know if, I don't know, I feel like she she should be forgiven for it. She Again, she knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a beautiful dress to wear to the Oscars, but I don't hate it was it. marketing. Yeah. I don't hate it. Yeah. As, you know, especially knowing Bjork as the artist she is now, I'm sure, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but like... That's also, far from the weirdest thing she's done in public. She had little egg props that she was, like, leaving in the red carpet. That's beautiful. That's so <laughs> really? Cute. Oh, that's amazing. I, I personally feel like when Gaga came into, uh, was it the VMAs that she came in? Mean, that egg. egg. Yeah. I was like, well, I think we've seen something like this before. Yeah. We're just, we're well, just allowed to do it because yeah. you're Lady Gaga. I think it's interesting also, though, that, uh, I mean, you came here to this podcast uh, because, A... We love you, and you're wonderful. I love you. Also, just stop. <laughs> Most importantly, though, you also came at a high recommendation from a dear friend of ours, Jericho Blue, who I'm here, apparently you know. Uh, and the thing is that he is obviously a big Madonna fan, and it's interesting that there is that one weird time when Bjork and Madonna met uh, off of that one fucking weird song off of Bedtime Stories. Bedtime Story. Bedtime Story, right, exactly. (laughs) And it's just interesting because, like, Madonna's so clearly going off of the Bjork lead vocal on the track. You know, like, it's kind of, it's like, Madonna's doing a Bjork song, I guess, now. Okay, that's cool. It's always so weird when you hear 
a song and you're like, oh, I can tell that you worked with a demo vocal of this artist. Right. And that demo vocal was done by Sia. Right. Like, you know, that's... <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's the most common example in today's day and age, but... Yeah. And it's just, like, weird because, like, I know Madonna was always looking for hot new songwriters and producers and talent there, but it's just, like, went to Bjork. It's like, okay. And then they did the fucking music video for it, which is a Mark Romanek thing. It was just weird as hell. But, yeah, what do you think of the Madonna song, Mikey? I actually really like that song. Mm -hmm. I know that Bjork has mentioned that she didn't know she was writing a song for Madonna. She was, you know, collaborating with a producer. I don't know if we know who, but uh, they put this song together, and then it ended up on Madonna's album. Mm -hmm. Um... I believe Madonna changed some of the lyrics and Bjork wasn't very happy about that. So there was kind of like this very subtle feud of like, I didn't write for you, stop saying that. And Madonna being like, this is a Bjork song, as you can tell. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a good song. (laughs) Now you talked about the demographic uh, for a Bjork fan being a Mexican gay man. Correct. Uh, You know, as well. So I'm just curious about your personal journey with Bjork. Because you said you came on to her around 1998 or so. Uh, where were you? What like what happened? What was your pop music experience? You know, pre and post Bjork. So post was the first album um, of Bjork's that I ever owned, but I owned it after it came out. Years after it came out, I think during the Vespertine era is when I started listening to Post, and I didn't really listen to the albums in order. Um, Medulla came out when I was really first starting to get into her, um, or it was the first album, first new album to come out after I was getting into her. Mm-hmm. Post and Homogenic were the first things that I listened to. I was in architecture school. I loved listening to Pluto while I was like working on my drafting assignments. Good architecture maybe music. That's yeah. why, yeah, exactly. Get so pumped up. You know, you won't fall asleep. You'll get your job done. But um, eventually, I made my way through the entire discography until I caught up. And then it kind of went downhill. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and I love that as a hardcore Bjork fan, you acknowledge that too. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I know, and I'm sure you've also run into hardcore Bjork apologists that are just like, nah, everything she does is just fucking brilliant. I mean, I still listen to every one of the albums. I skip songs here and there, mm-hmm. but I, I might be one of those. You take in the totality of the Bjork artistic experience inside of you. Yes. Yeah. Um, as much as we hated on Biophilia, there, there were some good things that came out of it. I thought the live performances were great, the instruments, the apps, which I've never personally nope. like played around with, but they sounded cool. I've heard some people like rave about the apps, and it's just like, I, I mean, I get that, but also like you can't do that at the expense of crafting a cohesive album. It was you know? a super ambitious album. And it was almost gimmicky. Uh-huh. It was like, this song is about the Big Bang. So I'm going to write ly- lyrics about the Big Bang. And that's really not very clever. Well, and also, that's the one where you talked about how there were mu- uh, instruments that were specifically tailored for that. Like, her creating a music box very specifically for Venus as a Boy. Or uh, was that Pagan Poetry? Sorry. It was, yeah, Pagan Poetry. Yeah, yeah uh, I, was getting, I was getting that mixed up. Uh, but, like, that one, like, okay, cool. Like, that's, I mean, I dig that. I'm, I'm a part of that. But her creating, out, you know, instruments very specifically for Biophilia and... Two things about that. One, they sound like instruments that already exist. I don't know where the distinct and unique textures come in, honestly, on that album. And two, more to the point, I don't care how many fucking instruments you make. It doesn't matter if you don't tie them into a song. Like, that's, like, my biggest, like, complaint about any time an artist is just like, we're gonna do something, like, out there crazy. I'm like, you could do whatever textural experience you like. It has to still be musically cohesive. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think part of my issue, too, is, like, when I was reading about how many different time signatures she's using on this album, it sort of clicked as to, like, why... You hate it. (laughs) I hate it. 
And it's not because I'm against using unconventional time signatures. Some of my favorite songs are in 7-4. But when every song is a different time signature, seemingly just for the sake of being different, Mm -hmm. that's when you lose... Like, I think that's the problem with Biophilia is that it's a lot of choices where she's just like, I want to make art. I'm going to break all the conventions of traditional music. I'm going to invent my own instruments. They're going to have an app released along with every song so you can fuck around with it yourself. And it's like, okay, cool. But like, those things are only good and interesting if you have like an enjoyable place to start from. Mm -hmm. If you start with weirdness and the weirdness is supposed to be cool because there's all this other shit along with it then it's just a big crumbling mess of quote-unquote art mm-hmm. now you say you were you know when you went to bjork you went to bjork hard right mikey yes okay so does that mean you went full sugar cubes i have listened to all the sugar cube cubes albums um is there any takeaways so, <laughs> i think some of their songs are great I was recently rewatching the video for, hit. Um, not hit, Mama, uh-huh. and there I don't remember right now, but there was a lyric, uh, some of the lyrics in the song that she used later in like her own music. Mm-hmm. So she definitely acknowledges her past. Um, hit is great. Birthday is beautiful. Yeah, birthday is um, honestly one of the better songs off there. Even though that album really feels Americanized to a surprising degree, like it sounds like college radio in the late eighties. Well, right. Yeah. It, as you said while we were listening to it, it's like B fifty twos meets REM, no doubt. Yeah, kinda, it's sorta, like yeah, it's very much like oh the big oh. bands of the moments. Yeah. all of these styles, like they were trying to make pop music, which I think is part of why Birthday is so incredible, is because it is very much that like late '80s traditional rock, and then you get to that chorus, and it's just so ridiculously unhinged. That's one of those things where I'm like, again. Maybe she wasn't the first person to do something like that, but her vocal stylings are like, you hear that all over the Alanis Morissettes and like mm-hmm. the Tori Amoses, like the Lilith Fair wave of like female 90s rockers are that that very distinct 90s vocal, <laughs> um, you know, oh, that yes. started with Bjork. I know. Well, then again, you legit- know what I meant. I know exa- I do. I do know exactly what you meant, though. But I also feel like because like I keep forgetting that debut and post both went platinum, uh, because like her hits were minor, but they were like for those that found it, it was like the critic circles, it was the tastemakers, it was the indie heads, like those people that were all about it. Right. I mean, I feel like she's a lot like many of the artists, other artists we've done in that way. Specifically, I'm thinking of Talking Heads and that, you know, they may not have been massively commercially successful, but they still, like, you know, their songs charted in the top 20 and people who heard it were like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. You know, not everyone bought it, but everyone who bought it recorded an album inspired by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I had a better point to say about that, but yeah, no, it was really good. <laughs> it's all right. It's the happy hour. I know. It's okay, it's guys. It it's okay. I'm going to edit out all the times that sounded stupid, which will make this happy hour about three minutes long. Uh, it's going to be really, really solid. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's... I mean, I feel like... It's one of those things I feel like I have something... Oh, what's that one song off of the... And you might know this, too, off of Life's Too Good, The Sugar Keeps One, about the naked fucking whatever type thing. Do you remember that one? Oh, my God. Do you have it? Oh, I can pull it up. Uh, it was that one song... Okay. It was, like, where she's like, Oh, there's a naked man in my apartment! What are you doing here? Do you not remember that? I don't think I know this song. Oh my god, I it, think was, it was so a song called like Tony, oh, Tony Naked Fucking. Or fucking in Rhythm. Yeah. And something. Yeah. And I just remember like hearing like, <laughs> like, oh, I came home with this naked man in my apartment. Girl, you need to call someone. That ain't cool. Legit. Right, because so. I. It sounds like she's like she's like freaking out, but kind of into it. Yeah, you know. And then it just like devolves into this like proto ska. Yeah, but (laughs) I mean, and she, you know, she does do a lot of guest verses. She did do some guest vocals on a fucking Death Grips album, and which, of course, because it's a Death Grips album, I'm never going to listen to it ever in my entire life. But you know. Good for you, girl. You know, I feel that. I really, really do. Uh, that being said, I mean, we said our piece here. Yeah, Mikey, do you have any other last stories or anything else? You want it's something you want the fans to know or anything else like that? Hmm. You're putting me in a tough position here. I know. Favorite video I've, I've, I'm talking about? I mean, I've costume. talked so much about the Tesla coil, but that was Damn. just impressive. Like, when it came down from the ceiling and she started performing possibly, maybe, with the Tesla coil... Mm-hmm that just like moved me mm-hmm. that, that's probably my favorite um song that she performs live a- along with army of me mm-hmm. um she always just turns that into a jam there's like lasers coming out of her hands like she's a goddess when she performs it yeah um, how many of her live albums do you own because for the record the listeners at home she has about 800 live albums well yeah after she put out um vesper team she put out debut live and then post live and then homogenic live and then Vespertine yeah. yeah. And well, and then Vespertine live and then Vespertine strings. Yeah. Like she's very much into m- releasing an alternate version of literally every song in her discography. Yeah, and then there's also the remix albums like Telegram, Voltaic, Bastards. Mm-hmm. So every album has. A sort of a secondary companion. Yeah. And then a tertiary they're, companion. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. And they're not usually, you know, as oh, good as the original. Right. Uh, but she does have, because I was looking through her greatest hits uh, track listing, which apparently was voted on by the fans and ranked in order by votes. So whatever got the most votes was the first song and second most the second song, which is kind of like, okay. And but this what, came out in what, two? It was, it was, I think. After Vespertine, right? It was after so, Vespertine, right. Uh, but one of the ones that was on there was just a great little number that I think a lot of people forget about, but she had this song called Play Dead from a movie that no one remembers called The Young Americans. Uh, but I don't know, like, that song, that orchestral thing done with David Arnold, who also uh, did a lot of strings for, like, say, uh, the James Bond movies for a good time, like, I just thought that was kicking. That's just a great little unheralded little nugget in her discography that's, like, kind of glossed over. The FM, you know, for Steely Dan references. Uh, a great soundtrack cut <laughs> that just kind of forgot on the wayside. That's like a good it. question. Are there any other, like, your favorite B-sides that we ooh, haven't talked ooh, about? Ooh, ooh, Amphibian from the Bing John Malkovich soundtrack. Nature is Ancient. Um, from Homogenic, I believe. Okay. Um, we talked about Domestica from Vespertine. Uh-huh. Oh, there's so many. Um, so Broken. Have you guys heard that one? I, I think, feel like it, I, I, think I think all of these are from Vespertine. And um, then... Verandi... The uh, Sucker Punch remix of Army of Me from the soundtrack to the movie Sucker Punch. 
That's also a thing that happens. Fun one. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and if you're a fan at home and you actually have, like, hey, by the way, here's a link to a fucking awesome one, please do post it on our Facebook, because, like, legit, we would like to see it. Or email us at at thechartographers at (laughs) gmail.com. Oh, great. Uh, Any other last-minute things, Mikey? Can't think of anything. Okay, that's fine, because guess what? I am so glad that you've been here. I'm so glad we've had this discussion. Uh, I would like it to keep going on our socials, on our Facebook, on our Twitter. Uh, When you leave a review on the iTunes, you can post a note about it there. We'll probably read it. Please do. Uh, In the meantime, though, uh, seriously... Thank you so much for being here. Thank this you. is delightful. I'm so glad we got to talk about this. And so, and like, again, as Taryn and I were noted before we started taping, you know what? Like, we've listened to a lot of Bjork this week, and I'm kind of like, I want to revisit right. a I'm lot. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not done with my Bjork kick. I'm mm-hmm. really glad we aren't recording another episode next Friday, because like... You just want to I want to listen to more Bjork. Again. Yeah. I know. And exactly. watch some music videos, and yeah. maybe drawing a straight line. Yeah, or no. Well, no. Okay, listen, we that. all have our limits, okay? I'm telling you that. You've told me enough. Yeah. I have, actually. I, I, like, I might, like, you know, watch the trailer or something just to, like, get the visuals, but I, I'm, I'm all right. That should be enough. Yeah. I'm going to go home and watch Dancer in the Dark and fall asleep. Oh, oh good. Also, You're going to fall asleep to Dancer in the Dark? I'm that so surprised. That sounds fucking awful. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are you Remember the time that you showed Jericho, former guest Jericho from a Madonna episode, I, Dancer in the Dark? I will never live that down. Yeah. Because when I posted that, I posted on Facebook during the week, I said, just show Taryn Dancer in the Dark. It's going about as well as you expected. And Jericho responded to that saying, that is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm just like, oh, wow. I mean, I knew, like, it's not everyone's cup of tea. I get that. But also, like, wow, Jericho, like... I mean, I think I said this off mic to Mikey earlier. We we were watching it. We made it... We were, like, over an hour in. And I was like, baby, you need to start fast-forwarding if you want me to finish this movie. <laughs> like, we were going, like, he played me important scenes and the musical numbers for, like, the last half hour to 45 minutes and mm-hmm. the rest I was like I, I look my patience is worn all the fucking way down yeah like those first 40 minutes are just so hard to get I did, through I dig the musical numbers though and Joel Grey and Joel Grey's there too for no reason for no apparent and reason. I love that and like cool yeah good for Joel Grey yeah. but like I still don't love that song I know that's, that is, this might be the greatest sticking point you and I have ever had yeah. in any episode, ever. That's it. We're not getting married anymore. Oh, <laughs> goodness. But you, the listeners, are invited if you email the thechartographers at gmail.com. Please don't do this. <laughs> we have exclusive DJs. It's going to be a Bjork-only set. We're going to come down the oh, aisle my God. to Sun in My Mouth. Uh, it's going to be really, really, really great. And then we're going to... We're going to... Um, we're going to exchange rings to Venus as a boy. <laughs> and then, of course, we're going to open the dance floor with uh, Thunderbolt. Uh, I was going to say Crystalline. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll okay. open the dance floor with Crystalline. Yeah. Hey, Aunt Jamie. <laughs> There's crystals growing underneath your feet. Uh, except, uh, well, then we'll kiss the future forever, because that's what our future is going to be. Forever. All right, we're guys. done. All right, guys. Done. We're over. <laughs> it's over. Hey, guys, uh, let me just say, though, thank you so much for listening. Keep on listening. We're going to have our kiss to mouth mantra. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, wow, this is... Bye. Thank you guys.
Welcome to the Review Universe promo! The Review Universe with Chris and Steve is a podcast about two men who are hired to review everything in the universe. We're stuck in a tiny room together filled with pneumatic tubes while two shadowy figures dictate what we have to review next. Anything from pizza to pop stars to the entire state of Wisconsin. A new episode every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. We give this promo a 100 out of 100. 100. <laughs>